Are you a follower of Jesus Christ who's done being quiet? Are you ready to tell the world whose you are, totally, fearlessly, and unapologetically? And are you ready to smash that imaginary wall that supposedly divides your career and faith life? Welcome to the C-Suite for Christ podcast, where we talk about living as a disciple of Christ in the world of work. Before we get to the content we have in store for you today, here's a quick word from our sponsor. Christians across the U.S. are rising up and banking with their values, and they are banking with Christian Community Credit Union. A trusted institution for over 65 years, Christian Community Credit Union is America's leader in biblical banking solutions. With low-cost auto loans, mortgages, personal loans, as well as products to help grow your money that include high-interest checking, savings, CDs, and so much more. The money you entrust with Christian Community Credit Union enables them to provide affordable financing to help churches and ministries grow. And with their new Cash Rewards Visa card, earn cash back while supporting Christian charities. It's time to bank with your values. Join Christian Community Credit Union today. Learn more at mycccu.com slash c-suite. That's mycccu.com slash c-suite membership eligibility required join other christian executives in running your business based on christian values to learn more visit the nehgroups.com And welcome to the C-Suite for Christ podcast. It is a blessing to have you here today. I am Paul M. Newberger. I'm the founder of the C-Suite for Christ ministry and really appreciate you stopping by and taking some time out of your very busy schedule to chat with us. Here's a very direct, straightforward question. And even before you answer it, I think I know what you're going to say, but I want to ask it anyway, because I'm the host of the show and that's what I get to do. Here's the question. When you look around today, When you open the newspaper today, when you scroll through social media today, when you read whatever news source you read today, are you happy with the state of society? Do you like what you see? Does it fill you with the warm and fuzzies? Are you looking around going, man, I love where we're headed as a country, where we're headed as a nation, where we're headed as a world. My children and my grandchildren are going to have it way better off than I will from a societal perspective. Do you find yourself saying that? Speaking only for myself, the answer is no. And something tells me that you feel the same way as a Christian, as a believer, as an executive, and as a person of immense faith. And it shouldn't be a shocker to hear a lot of us say no, because this world just continues to go further and further away from godly principles. You can't talk about Christ at the workplace, they say. You you, you can't talk about Christ on social media, they say. You, You can't talk about Christ in the community, 
they say. You can't pray in public schools, they say. Christ is just systematically being removed from all the major institutions because to some degree, the media has taken control of the societal narrative. And according to them, Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, you are an intolerant bigot. Christianity equals hate. And part of that is because we as Christian executives just haven't done a very good job of speaking up, of pushing back. That changes right here, right now. And that's truly what the C-Suite for Christ ministry is all about. We are an international collection of Christian business executives from all walks of life. There are nearly 3,000 individuals that are associated with our ministry. We're planting chapters all across the world. And part of that reason is because, primarily speaking, we are not a networking group. Primarily speaking, we are not a professional development organization. This world does not need more networking. This world does not need more professional development. The only thing that is going to turn things around, the only thing that is going to allow us to create a culture and a society that we can be extremely proud of is if we introduce Christ into it. And that's where C-Suite for Christ comes in. It's our goal as a ministry to cover the world in Christ, to honor the Great Commission. And we do that by boldly and unapologetically declaring to the world not who we are, but whose we are. And it would be an absolute blessing to have you join us in this collective effort. If you want to become an official member, if you want to attend a gathering just to see what we're all about, maybe you feel God tugging on your heartstrings to potentially become a C-Suite for Christ licensee and plant a chapter of our organization in your neck of the woods. Whatever you do, do something, because we're better together, we're stronger together, and boy, howdy, we're going to cover this world in Christ together. To find out what's the best fit for you, go to our website to learn more, csuiteforchrist.com. So I love this time of year. I really do. I mean, we got Thanksgiving coming up really soon, and there's so many really good holidays to pick from. I love Christmas. I love Independence Day. I love Easter, obviously, for the the spiritual significance. But Thanksgiving has just got to be one of my all-time favorite holidays. I I love it for so many reasons. I love it because with my busy schedule, the busy schedule of my friends and my family, We don't get to see each other as often as we otherwise would, and I'm sure that you can relate to that. But for Thanksgiving, we make time. Everybody comes together. We have the opportunity to to break some bread, to enjoy some fellowship, to catch up on life, not to mention the food is outstanding. I I married a phenomenal cook. My mother-in-law is a phenomenal cook. Lots of people in my family are phenomenal cooks, and I'm I'm an absolutely amazing eater. So it works out well. They're phenomenal cooks, and I'm a phenomenal eater. So I, you know, I, I couldn't ask for anything more than that. But the other reason that I really love this time of year is football. Now, if, if you've listened to any of my previous podcasts, if you've listened to my radio show, if you follow me on social media, it's only going to take you maybe about 10 seconds of searching to realize that I'm a bit of a football nut. And I, I would quite honestly say that my family – the immediate family, me, my wife, and my three children, we're just a bunch of football-obsessed lunatics. 
but I love it. My, 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 my oldest son plays football. I love watching it. I love playing it. I love the strategy of it. I mean, there's just so many things about it. And then right now you've got the NFL games going on. You've got the college season getting interesting. We're talking about the college football playoffs and the championship coming up here pretty soon. Who's going to make it? Who's going to move up and down in the various standings? You got high school games going on. Boy, it's just, it's just, if you're a football fan, this time of year is just paradise, and it certainly is for me. And it kind of got me thinking, you know, like wh- where did this football obsession come from? Where did this football passion come from? Where, where, where did this love of this game come from? And, and for me, it's, it's pretty easy to diagnose that question. My love of football comes directly from my father. Now, my father was never really obsessed with the game, but he did like it. He watched it. We talked about it, all those other different types of things. I don't remember when my first exposure to football was, but I can tell you, I was born in 1982. And right around the time that I, I started to tune into football games, you know, maybe 10, 11, 12 years old. Well, I'm a, in Wisconsin, I'm a Green Bay Packer fan, and, and Brett Favre was my all-time favorite player. Well, right around the time that I was coming of age, that I was watching football on TV, that I was aware of what was going on, that I understood how the game was played, that's when Brett Favre, in that uh, really infamous day, I believe it was 1992, when he replaced Don Mikowski, who who got hurt, and uh, we all know how that story went from there. Favre just never, never looked back. But there were just a number of things that, that started to happen right around the time that I was about 10 or 11. Number one, my, my parents are big Packer fans. Uh, not a shock. Just about everybody in the state of Wisconsin is. And um, it became a Sunday tradition. Now, if they played on Monday night or something, you know, we, we would always move it around. But for the most part, it was a Sunday tradition at the Newberger house when I was growing up. We, we'd go to church. We'd always stop off and get some of those uh, delicious hot ham and rolls. And then we'd come back and watch the game. If it was a noon game, if it was a 3.30 game, didn't really matter. But we enjoyed the food, uh, made some side dishes, maybe some some taco dip or whatever else, and really kind of made an event about it. So for those Sundays in the fall, when the Packers were playing, it, it was the Packer game, yes, but then it was just everything else around it. It was quality time. With my parents, it was the ability to hoot and holler. It was the ability to, you know, get a little competitive with people. I bet you a dollar. Again, when you're 10, you don't have a lot of money. Hey, I bet you a dollar the Packers are going to beat the Vikings today. Oh, you're on. I'll bet you this Jose Canseco baseball card that uh, Brett Favre throws three touchdowns today. Again, my parents were not condoning gambling, but just fun little things to do. Sunday was my favorite day of the week. For all those reasons and more, didn't have school and whatever else, but I knew it was quality family time and the Packers were right in the middle of that. I loved it. There's just so many good things about that, just watching the game. And then accordingly, when you're watching the game, you're starting to learn. You're learning who the players are. You're learning the plays. You're learning the offensive and defensive schemes. You're just becoming more engrossed in everything. And it's kind of cool when you know the players and the stats and the plays and the coaches and the standings and how everybody else is doing. It just gives you something to talk about Monday through Saturday. So we watched a lot of those games when I was growing up. I don't know if you can relate to this, but one of the things that really 
makes me me too. And maybe it's the OCD. I, I like to share openly about mental health because I think mental health has a really negative, unfair stigma attached to it. A lot of us struggle with mental health. Let's talk about it because there's nothing wrong with you if you have some mental health challenges. This is a tough world. And one of the things that I deal with is I am clinically OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. I take medication for it. So I have a hard time sitting still. Sitting down to do this conversation with you on the podcast is not the easiest thing in the world. So uh, I stand up and I gesticulate a lot just to kind of scratch that itch, I suppose. But when I was a kid, I could never really watch games in their entirety. I really had to work at that. Because if I'm watching a Packer game, by the time it's halftime, I want to run upstairs to my bedroom and I want to play John Madden football on EA Sports. Because it's one thing to watch it, but then I just started to get that itch. Man, I got to play this now. I want to play. I want to get engrossed. I don't just want to be a spectator. I want to be in the arena moving this thing forward. So I'd be upstairs playing John Madden or at a commercial. My brother and I would run back to the backyard. Oh, come on, let's just throw the ball around. Let's get the blood flowing, whatever else. It was hard just to sit there and watch. We, we had to be a part of it. We had to be associated with it. We had to be in the middle of it. So accordingly, we played a lot of football at my house. And it was one of those things where my dad would take my brother and I out and whether it's just a simple game of catch, whether my dad was the all-time quarterback and it was me versus my brother, uh, maybe we just invent we invented some crazy games that I, I can't even really go into now because it's just you know like punt competitions and we'd set up makeshift field goals and um, you know maybe uh, get a garbage can and then from like thirty yards back just to see if you can kind of throw it in there. Uh, we do it for points, we do it for money, we do it for food, just a bunch of really interesting stuff. But we were always, always, always playing football growing up as well too. Even if it wasn't football season, we loved it so much. So doing it in the summer, doing it after school, doing it before school. And again, playing the game was fine. It, it's a fun game to play. But but having that quality time with my father, who worked multiple jobs to, to put us through a Christian high school, with my brother. And again, you know, we're, we're kids, so it's just always fun for us to play together. But creating those memories, creating those traditions was always a lot of fun. So when I was growing up, we were watching football constantly. When I was growing up, we were playing football constantly. But there's also a third element to this, and we were discussing football constantly. Sports Center was like always on our television, always. And we grew up with the Rich Eisen days, the Keith Olbermann before he went off the deep end from a political perspective, Stuart Scott, um, was it Mark Levy? Uh, Charlie, Charlie Stein, you know, just some of those individuals. I mean, we always had Sports Center on, and they're they're showing the replays and the scores and the standings and the statistics and who's in the MVP race. And we were talking about it constantly. My brother, uh, the Packers never took with him. He's a diehard Bengals fan. And when we were growing up, the Bengals sucked. I mean, my gosh, I think they had like a couple one in 15 seasons, two in 14 seasons. They had like the number one overall pick in the draft, like four straight years, and they couldn't find anybody to save that team. Now, obviously, the Bengals are a, a pretty good team. My team is better than yours. This schedule is easier than yours. Look at the quarterback statistics. The This one is going to be doing better in the MVP race. You know, uh, talking about formations, talking about plays, talking about scouting reports. I mean, all these different types of things. When I was growing up, those are the three things that I would say really led to my ultimate love of football. We watched it constantly. 
We played it constantly and we discussed it constantly. And again, if I'm being honest, part of the reason that it stuck with me, yes, I, I, I do love football because of the game, because of the strategy, because of the players, because of the entertainment. Sure. But when I look back on me growing up, it was really not so much what we were doing, but who I was doing it with. Football was fun because I was with my family. Playing it was fun because I enjoyed time with my family. Discussing it was fun because I enjoyed having conversations with my family. And the feelings that I get when I look back on those days are, are always warm and fuzzy and loving. And I, I just look back on that very, very favorably. So accordingly, it's not much of a coincidence that I've passed that along to my children, my boys in particular. Now, Reagan, my baby girl who's six, is kind of indifferent. She likes to root for the Packers, but I think the only reason she likes to root for the Packers is because her brothers are not rooting for the Packers. I, I think I need to take a parenting class or something here, but my oldest son, my 11-year-old Kennedy, is a Vikings fan. Talk about salt in the wounds. That, that's a divisional rival, for crying out loud. Brett Favre, we, yeah, I know, I know he had that one-year stop with the Jets, but then he played for the Vikings. How can you support that team? But he does. And then my middle son, my nine-year-old Hudson, is a Chiefs fan. Again, don't know where I went wrong, but at the end of the day, they all enjoy the game of football, which is what's most important. If you were to talk to my my boys now, I think they would say everything that I said about my youth. Me and my boys are watching just about every single game. We watch the Thursday night games where we can. They got school the next day, so we only pretty much make it up till halftime before everybody goes to bed. Maybe watch some of the college games on Saturday, but Saturday is usually a family fun day, so we're not watching a whole lot of TV. But then for sure, we're, we're tuned in on Sunday to kind of see what's going on in the NFL. But when we're watching the game, again, just kind of like my upbringing, it's not like the three of us are on our own separate couch being quiet. Gosh, we're, 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 we're busting balls, as I like to say, teasing each other. We're uh, wrestling a little bit. Uh, we're jaw jabbing. We're taunting a little bit. We're telling stories. Sometimes we get really serious and conversations about Christ and friendships and relationships kind of come up. But I really believe part of the reason that I pass that along to my kids, not only did I like it so much, but they love it as well, too, because that's an experience to watch football. We're playing all the time. My son did his first year in tackle football this year for fifth grade. He, uh, the team didn't have a very good year, but Kennedy was named team captain. Loves it. He's a starting wide receiver as well as safety. Hudson is in flag football. He'll be doing, um, he'll be doing tackle football next year. So not only do they play it organized, we're always in the backyard throwing the pigskin. So, sometimes we're, we're learning. I'm coaching them. I'm, I'm giving them pointers. I'm giving them best practices. We're, we're emulating some of the things that we saw on TV earlier that day. But I also will tell you that the vast majority of the time that we're outside playing football, we're talking. We're talking about life. I'm asking them about their school day. They're telling me about their crushes. We're dreaming a little bit together. You know, what do you want to do over the summer? Or what are some of your favorite classes? What do you want to be when you grow up? I mean, it's just really, really quality bonding time. And again, if you ask my kids, it's not so much we're throwing the pigskin around. It's this is quality time with my dad. And I hate to say this. I'm not around all that often. I'm doing the very best I can. But I'm an international keynote speaker. I'm traveling a lot with the C-Suite for Christ ministry. We're planting chapters all over the world that I got to help 
get launched. I shouldn't say got to, that I get to help launch. I own three businesses. I'm pulled in a thousand different directions. It just Life just seems to stand still when we're outside playing football and, and tossing the ball around. But then discussing it, again, the same thing. W- one of my favorite things during the school year is I'm usually, everybody's usually around the same time. When the kids get up, so about you know six thirty to seven o'clock in the morning, I'm I'm working by that point. Uh, the kids are having breakfast, uh, just getting ready for their day. It allows us an opportunity to talk, and that's one of the things we're talking about. Hey, you excited about the game this weekend? Who do you think is going to win? Hey, because uh, my my son loves the Chiefs, so he loves Patrick Mahomes. Hey, Patrick Mahomes' stats are a little off. Do you think he's going to finish strong? Again, not so much the game, not so much the statistics, but. Who is who you're talking with, who you're around, who you're spending quality time with. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm very adamant about passing that tradition along as well, because I want my kids to experience what I experienced. I want my kids to have these happy memories like I have. I want my kids to have a, a quality relationship with their father, just like I do. I want my kids to experience everything that I experienced as a young person myself. And I'm very passionate about passing that on to them. And selfishly, romantically, I'm also praying that my kids will pass that along to their kids, that they bond over football and that their kids pass it to their kids. And even if it's not football, maybe it's another sport. Maybe it's the opera. Maybe it's community service. In the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. But it's the tradition. It's the passing along of this tradition from one generation to the next. You had a good experience. Pass it along. This was important to you. Pass it along. This is something that gave you fond memories. Pass it along. This is something that helped make you who you are today. Pass it along. This is something that This is something that is in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. It's something that you're passionate about. It's something that really stirs those emotions and you pass it along. We have a lot of these traditions. You have traditions like mine, the love of football. You have traditions about summer vacations. And every summer we go for two weeks to this island or, or whatever it is. You have traditions on the last day of school. We always do this on Christmas Eve. We always do this for Thanksgiving. Grandma always makes this. Traditions are kind of what makes life worth living. Traditions give you something tangible, something to enjoy, something to look forward to, something to cherish, something that can be a light spot in an otherwise dark world. And a lot of people like to pass these traditions on, whether it's the family vacation spot or grandma's pumpkin pie recipe. But one of the things that that really is kind of striking to me, we have traditions about sports and trips and food and uh, school or whatever the case may be. But very few of us have faith traditions. And speaking only for myself, I can't think of anything more important than a tradition that is rooted in Jesus Christ. Can you? 
And one of the things that I'm talking about here, I'm not talking about, well, we go to the Christmas Eve candlelight mass or we go to the Easter sunrise vigil. As wonderful as those are, and I would encourage you to keep doing that, that's not what I mean. Church isn't so much a tradition. It's somewhere that you go. It's something that you do. But what I, what I mean is I mean something a little bit more granular, something a little bit more intimate, something a little bit more familial, something that is unique only to you and to your family. Football traditions are good. But in the final analysis, if your kid is a great football player, but he doesn't know Christ, what's the point? Vacation traditions are great. If your kid is well-rested, if your kid has wonderful memories but doesn't know Christ, what's the point? Grandma's pumpkin pie recipe is great. But if your kid is well-fed but doesn't know Christ, what's the point? What kind of Christian traditions are we instilling in our kids, in our grandkids, in our nieces and nephews, in the neighborhood that we're in, our neighbors or the kids that we coach, whatever the case may be. Do you have any faith traditions? That Does anything come to your mind? And regrettably, not a lot of people or families have these things. And I think that we should really start to turn this around because this really goes back to what I started this conversation on with respect to the state of society. Are you happy with the state of society? And again, a lot of the, a lot of us would say no. But I, I'm, I'm just being brutally honest here. If you were to do a list, and, and, and if I'm wrong, prove me wrong. I would love it if you could prove me wrong. Take out a piece of paper, a yellow legal pad, a, a Microsoft Word document on your computer, and, and, and write down the 15 best traditions that your family does. Now, again, don't you're, you're going into this with a certain mentality, so don't let that mentality skew your answers. But what, what traditions do you have? And again, like the examples that we talked about, we go on this vacation. We have Friday game night, whatever it is, write down your 15 traditions. I bet you there's not more than two or three on there that are faith-based. And again, going to sunrise mass doesn't count. A lot of people do that. That's not really a tradition. What is unique to your family? What is unique to your clan? What is unique to your group? Maybe you guys start every morning with a special prayer. Maybe once a month on a Friday night. You stay in and you watch a Christian movie. Maybe you have Christian trivia contests. I don't know. Those are just examples of what I mean by Christian traditions. But we need to do something. Because if we don't start instilling in our kids the importance of faith, the importance of Christianity, and the importance of Christian tradition, what makes us think tomorrow is going to be any better than it is today? And again, this comes straight out of Scripture. So let's look at Joel chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. According to the New International Version, it says this. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children. 
and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. This is a commandment. A lot of times, you know, when we talk about commandments in Scripture and commandments in Jesus and commandments in God, a lot of us think about Moses carrying those stone tablets with the Ten Commandments. Yes, those are the Ten Commandments. But as you go throughout Scripture, there's just so many more pieces of information like this, things you should do, things you need to do, things you need to be mindful of. And this is one example of that. Let's start kind of unpacking this a little bit. So how does this verse start? Again, Joel chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. Hear this, you elders, listen all who live in the land. That's you. That's me. Elders. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're old. It doesn't even necessarily mean that you're a Bible scholar. But you're somebody who's been around. You're somebody who knows a thing or two. You're somebody who has a relationship with God. You're somebody who's spiritually mature. You're somebody who's got a good head on their shoulders. In this case, in this verse, they're trying to get our attention. You, me, all of us, listen. And then they pose a question. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Now, according to Joel chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, they're specifically talking about the invasion of the locusts for you know, purposes of context. That's not what I'm referring to here, but again, that's what the scripture is referring to. But when that question says, has anything like this ever happened in your days or the days of your ancestors? What's going on in society today? COVID and all the craziness around that, the vaccine mandates, the lockdowns, bringing the economy to an absolute standstill. You can go, again, you can look at politics from both sides of the aisle, I suppose. What happened on January 6th? Was it all that it was supposed to be? Are they making a big deal about it? Are they not making as big a deal about it? What's going on now since Biden has become president? You got this transgender movement. You're you're reading, they've got books and elementary schools that I wouldn't even read myself because they're so graphic. You got what's going on in Israel and Palestine, the Gaza Strip, my gosh, colleges all over this country, student protests, anti-Israel, death to Israel. Again, there's two sides to every story, but have we seen anything like that? Our national debt, where it is right now, talk about not being a good steward of God's financial blessings, whatever it is, you just think about what's going on in society today. What is happening in society today? Have we ever experienced this before? Can you recall our ancestors experiencing something like this? Some of the stuff we can, some of these other things are are just really unique and novel to where we live now, where we are in this life journey now. And then what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to tell it to our children. And let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. Where is Christ in all of this? What are your spiritual traditions? 
How can everything that's going on around us be used as a spiritual lesson, a spiritual tradition? Roe v. Wade obviously was overturned not terribly long ago. So now it's returned to the states. And you got some states that are pretty much out, outlawing abortion. You've got some states that'll say, eh, up to nine months is fine. And if the baby's accidentally born, you can kill it afterwards. These are things we need to tell to our children. What, what, what does God say about that? Where is Jesus in all of this? What does our faith teach us about this? Transgenderism. What is it? It's in our schools, it's in our sports leagues, it's in our news, it's in our communities. Sometimes it's even in our churches. Are we telling this to our children? What is it, and what does God have to say about this? A lot of parents, and this is myself more often than not, We take our kids to church. We enroll our kids in a Christian school. Maybe there's Sunday school or Bible camps or stuff like that. Those are all wonderful. Those are all good. I think that's a wonderful parenting decision on your part if that's something that you do. But it cannot stop there. We need to have spiritual conversations, spiritual discussions, and spiritual traditions with our kids. We can't outsource the responsibility to the church. We cannot outsource this responsibility to the schools. We cannot outsource this responsibility to confirmation class. We cannot outsource this responsibility to Bible study or Sunday school. We are the ones who are responsible. Hear this, you elders. It's not hear this, you teachers. Hear this, you coaches. Hear this, you principals. You. Hear this, you. Your children, your clan, your family. These are tough conversations to have, but they're necessary when it comes to traditions. Football is a lot more fun than Christian movie night, but Christian movie night is more necessary than football. Grandma's pumpkin pie recipe is probably more delicious Then Christian Trivia Night. But Christian Trivia Night is a lot more necessary than Grandma's Pumpkin Pie. Joel chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. This starts with us, and it must start right here, right now. Will you join me in perpetuating the Christian tradition by involving your kids, by involving your kids in conversation, by involving your kids in events, by involving your kids in fun things to do that are centered on the Christian faith? Will you try to make Christianity fun? Will you really try to ingrain this in their heads at a young age during these formative years of their life. Because if you don't, society will. And society is not on our side. You think these colleges, universities, are going to teach your kids about Christ? The public schools, are they going to teach the kids about Christ? I mean, we're taught that you can't talk about Christ in these settings. So you can't outsource that. 
to these entities. It's up to us. And it's my prayer that you'll join me in coming up with a tradition or traditions that'll ensure that Christianity is alive and well in this country for many generations. One of my favorite quarterly traditions is to have a conversation with Tom Feldhusen, executive advisor. Tom and I have quarterly check-ins. And part of the reason that we do is, again, he's my right-hand man when it comes to business success. He helps coach me. He helps lead me. I can bounce my ideas and questions and concerns off of a guy like Tom, and he's always giving me his open, honest, and unvarnished feedback and commentary. But but Tom Feldhusen, executive advisor, his number one best skill set by far is personnel. And this is tough, especially if you're a business owner, especially if you're a, a top executive, because there's really three things you look at. One, do I have the right people on the bus? Two, if the answer is yes, are they in the right seats on the bus? And three, sometimes people get off the bus voluntarily or involuntarily. So we got to bring additional individuals on the bus. Well, again, how do you know if you're hiring the right person? Resumes can be fudged. You can have a 60-minute interview. Oh, this person sounded great. But that, that's just a small snapshot into who this person really is. Tom Feldhusen is my secret weapon when it comes to personnel. I don't make a hiring decision without him, and neither should you. So give Tom Feldhusen a call today. He can be reached at 262-305-2502 and tell him that Newberger sent you. We're going to be right back after a quick break, and we're going to be having our guest Paul Rook coming up here in just a couple of seconds. Do not go away. Need a trade show display? A lobby renovation? Heck, how about help with an event that you're hosting? Captivate Exhibits can do it all. Plus, they're an outspoken faith-based organization that puts Christ first in all that they do. Ready to captivate the attention of the masses? Then check them out today at CaptivateExhibits.com. That's CaptivateExhibits.com. And welcome back, everybody. Getting awfully excited because we're just about 60 seconds away from our guest of honor, Paul Rook. And I want to make sure that I give him a lot of time to share with you his thoughts on Joel chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. But just one, one thing I just want to put on your radar again, because I don't think I can remind you of this enough. But again, the number one reason why the C-Suite for Christ ministry exists is because of the Great Commission. Now, again, I want you to pay attention to this. It's called the Great Commission. It's not the Great Suggestion. It's not the Great Recommendation. You can't find yourself in a position where you say, eh, I'm too busy to tell other, people's, other people about Christ. Eh, uh, it's not safe to do it in this society of cancel culture and political correctness. Eh, you know, I'm just not very good at it, so I'm going to sit on the sidelines and let somebody else do the heavy lifting. You cannot do that. And our organization is not only actively promoting the Great Commission and reminding individuals about why this is so important. But again, we want to make it as easy for you as possible to do your own fair share every single day. You don't have to start a podcast like we did. You don't have to you know, travel the world and give speeches to tens of thousands of people. The whole reason we have the C-Suite for Christ podcast is so that you have something to share. If you like this episode, 
put it on people's radar, send them a text message, put a post about it on social media, send an email to two or three people that you're familiar with and say, hey, this message really spoke to me. You should listen to it. The Great Commission is not an option. The Great Commission is not something you have the luxury of sitting on the sidelines about because when you have that final exit interview in the sky, we're going to have to take account for a lot of things, including did you tell others about Christ? And we want to make it as easy for you as possible. So feel free to share this podcast, tell others about it, or go to our website and just learn about more ways that you can honor the Great Commission. And again, our website is csuiteforchrist.com. One of the individuals who's doing a magnificent job of telling others about Christ and really adhering to the Great Commission is my good friend Paul Rook. Uh, Paul wears a lot of different hats on that head of his. For starters, uh, he runs the Become Customer-Centric Organization, a real good um, organization consultancy where he allows you and teaches you to be a better servant of other people. But then again, he also runs the ministry Become Born Again, and they're doing some truly amazing work there. So, Brother Paul, it's a blessing to have you on the program here today. Thank you, Brother Paul. Yeah, it's an absolute honor to join you today. Well, and plus, you, you just can't have too many Pauls getting together in one place, can you? Hallelujah. Absolutely not. <laughs> so, Paul, as you know, what we're discussing today is Joel chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. The NIV version says this, Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. So, Brother Paul, what does Joel chapter 1, verses 2 through 3 mean to you specifically? So as a as a father with uh, with three young daughters um, living as a disciple of Jesus, having been saved by Jesus Christ uh, only four and a half years ago, um, to then come into the year 2020 and and God once again began to shake the heavens and the earth. Um, for me, this piece of scripture fills me with such incredible excitement and joy because of the times that we've all been chosen to live in. And um, and I was led into this scripture probably in, I think, late 2020, when I was seeing a lot of what what you what I would probably describe as doomsday, apolitical, um, prophetic kind of words being sent out that, you know, the world is getting darker and darker. And that uh, but don't worry if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're baptized, you're going to be meeting him in the clouds, you're going to be raptured out of here. And, and I was I was listening to these kind of messages and and for me, it just wasn't resonating because what the Lord was speaking to me about in 2020 and into 2021 and since is that we're not heading into darker days. We're, we're heading into days where the glory of God is being manifested more and more and more as God is filling more and more of his people with his spirit and more and more people are being set on fire. And as you as you say, brother, following the Great Commission, people who are not afraid of the gospel because because it is a power of God that brings salvation to all who believe. So for me, as with, with my three young daughters, I know that what God started to do in early 2020, once again, shaking the heavens and the earth. I'm going to be speaking to my daughters and to my granddaughters and beyond over the follow over, you know, over future years, speaking about how we've all been chosen to be living in these most profound times that no one, that no one walking the earth has has lived through an experience before. For this isn't a this isn't like the Azusa Street revival or the Welsh revival or the 
the Jesus revolution. This is across the earth and we and God has only just gotten started. And I'm just honoured, brother, to be a servant of the Lord Jesus and to go when the Lord asked me to go and to speak when he asked me to speak. Well, yeah, and you're doing some truly amazing things. And one of the things, Paul, that, that I kind of want you to elaborate on a little bit is, is ever since, you know, God brought you into my life and we spent some time talking, getting to know each other, getting you plugged into the C-Suite for Christ ministry, one of the things that I've just been blown away by is just how on fire for Jesus Christ you are. I mean, in fact, I got to I got to put sunscreen on every time I'm talking to you because the the, the, the brightness from, the, from your rays will cause me a sunburn or something. But what I find interesting is, is, as you just said, you've only been really kind of at this over the course of the past four and a half years. So I, I guess my question is, what is your story? I mean, I mean, where were you four and a half years ago? How did God, you know, bring you on to Team Jesus and 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 put you on this path that you're on right now? Because again, you're 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 really really bold and unapologetic. So what, what was the story? What, what was your conversion story about four and a half years ago? Yeah, so I was 41, um, early 2019. Uh, I'd never had faith, wasn't born and raised with any faith at all. I was living what what the world would probably deem to be a picture-perfect life. I was um, I was uh, married, been, been with my wife for 24 years, three beautiful children. I was an entrepreneur running a, running a very successful, growing digital agency. Um, we, we were living in a, a very big house. We had very luxurious cars. Uh, I was earning a lot of money. I was a speaker, an author, a writer. And, um, and everything looked picture-perfect. But what people didn't see is that um, I'd been mentally abusing my wife for about the last 10 years. I was living with a lot of darkness. Um, I was um, suffering a lot from childhood and teenager experiences. I'd been seeing a therapist for the last six years to try and heal from from having wrong thoughts going through my mind. And I wanted to, of course, I wanted to stop hurting my wife and pushing my wife away. And um, and I'd sometimes been suicidal as well. So in spite of living this picture perfect life, on a on internally I was in darkness. I was um, I would what you would say, someone who struggled with my mental health, and it was for over twenty years. And in addition to that, in early twenty nineteen, uh, before Jesus came in and saved my life, I hadn't had a relationship with my mom for twenty one years because of deep rooted unforgiveness. Um, I hadn't had a relationship with my dad for seven years for similar reasons and my two sisters for seven years so in spite of living this picture perfect life I was living in absolute sin and and total uh, inner darkness and uh, having done five six years of therapy and then hypnotherapy uh, in an attempt to be healed from 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 the pain Anyway, and that voice of darkness was still there. It was still kind of um, still coming at me. It was still speaking to me and influencing my behavior. When my wife also got to a place of realizing that I'm not healed in any way from all this therapy. Um, after 10 years of being uh, abused ment- mentally and psychologically, um, typically behind closed doors. So it wasn't something that, that people in the outside world saw. My wife left me and I just hit absolute rock bottom, absolute complete rock bottom. 
And it was a few weeks after, about two weeks after hitting absolute rock bottom, I was helpless, I was hopeless. And as a as an absolutely broken man, I went across um, the, the road to, in the village that we lived to the reverend who had, had in fact christened me and my three daughters a year earlier. Um, I wasn't christened as a baby. Me and my wife decided to christen our three daughters. I decided to get christened. I got given a Bible. I opened the Bible up after the christening and it meant nothing to me. And after about a week of being christened, since being christened, I thought, forget this. So this is back in 2018, April 2018. So Christianity came and went in the family within about a week. Fast forward a year later, I'm at the Reverend's house breaking down in tears as an absolutely broken man, a wretched, wretched man. And um, and the, the Reverend, God's divine timing, she was listening to me, she explained that usually if someone gets christened, they're christened as a baby by the parents, so they know nothing about it. But when that child grows up, they may choose to get baptised when, you know, when they can make their own decision. And what God had ordained through this, um, through the reverend, is that a week later she was going to be having a session in her home to explain to people who had been christened, usually when they were a lot younger, what does it mean to be baptised? And she invited me round uh, the following week. So I, I went round the following week, about three weeks after um, my marriage had collapsed. And that night, as she was sharing with us scriptures from the Gospels, uh, and in particular, hallelujah, when, when um, from the Gospels, when Jesus was calling the disciples to follow him, and when he came along, and there was there's two two of who became the two two disciples, and they were fishing, and Jesus said, "Come, lay down your nets, follow me. I will teach you to be fisher of men." And so this was about three weeks after my marriage broke down, and this was the night when I had the revelation for the first time, age forty one, that God is real that God loves me, that Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus died for me on that cross, that Jesus shed his blood to be the atoning sacrifice for all my sins, because I took full responsibility for the marital breakdown. I wasn't in denial. And I knew that night with this peace that I'd never experienced before, that I'd finally found what I'd been searching for for over 20 years. And I knew I was going to get baptized and start following Jesus. And uh, and that was a night when the scales fell from my eyes. That was that was like my Damascus Road experience, you could say. And I really appreciate you sharing that. And it is interesting to see. I guess again, I think when people hear you for the first time, when people encounter you for the first time, some people might have this impression that man, this guy's always just been on fire for Jesus Christ. And I think some people are just amazed that again, you you're still so early into this journey. And the point I really want to make is it's not too late for anybody, whether you're baptized as a Christian from birth, whether you, you find Christ at the age of 41, you know, he, he's not done with you yet. He's got a story that is uh, yet to be written and he can use you to achieve a lot of really wonderful things. Paul, one of the things that you and I have in common, and there's a lot of them, uh, but one of the things in particular is you talk about your three daughters. I also have three children. My my boys are 11 and 9, and my baby girl is 6. And my wife and I have, you know, again, when, when we first started this parenting thing, I don't care how many books you read. I don't care how many people you talk to. Nothing ever prepares you for being a parent. And it took us a little while to feel this out, but we made the decision together that we're going to define success as do our children have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? Our success is not do our kids get straight A's. That's good, but that that's not our ultimate purpose. It's not are our kids going to be professional athletes. Again, that's good, but that's not our purpose. So for us, we're going to define our success as parents is do all three of our children have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? And I think Joel chapter one, verses two through three talks about this a little bit. Well, what I'd like is, is a parent yourself 
And as somebody who's really committed to ensuring that your daughters know Jesus Christ, when you look at verse three, it says, tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children. It keeps talking about tell it. In your perspective, what does tell it mean? And what can all the parents out there learn from this piece of scripture in that regard? Yeah, hallelujah. So what I would say um, for me to be when I was born again, baptized, saved, I was the first across my entire family. So I'm talking about family, extended family. And so I was, um, you know, people didn't understand me um, and, and probably including my daughters as well at that at that time. For me, um, how, how I tell my daughters about Jesus is primarily by just living out um, as much as possible, becoming more and more Christ-like and seeking to demonstrate um, as much as possible each day, the nine fruit of the spirit. And so for my daughters to see Jesus Christ in me, in their dad. So um, it's not necessarily that we sit down every day and we're going through scriptures and um, I'm doing anything that could potentially pu push them away or, or potentially make it feel a bit too much for them. Um, I'm very much um, seeking and desiring. And, and what I prayed for is, is for my daughters, just with your children to, to be coming into, which is happening for the glory of God, um, a personal deepening relationship with Jesus. And, and it doesn't happen overnight because, of course, they've got their own battles. They've got, you know, like, like we all have with the battle between the flesh and the spirit. Um, and so one of the things that I've had to come to to really, really press in with with the Lord on is is trusting him completely with my daughters and trusting in the process, trusting in the journey, um, standing on, you know, Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that God works in all things for good for those who love God and those who live according to his purpose then because, because of course, people's actions and behavior can change, um, you know, and the enemy can seek to work through, you know, through, through anyone in our lives. If the enemy can't get to us directly into our own mind, then the enemy will certainly be looking to use the people closest to us to try and get us into our flesh. And so, so for me, it's about yeah, trying to really, really trying to live out and demonstrate as much fruit of the spirit as possible. And um, and but as the word of God says, that it is not, it's not we that live, but Christ that lives in us, and that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. So, so yeah, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to just really be that kind of um, I suppose that role model for my daughters to look up to. And uh, and to be, you know, to be someone that just really helps them and allows them to see the difference between, you know, what is what is a truth and what is, you know, what is a, a deception. And um, and yeah, just just kind of lead them and guide them, but not in a not in what could easily be deemed as like a religious way, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it makes perfect sense. And, you know, again, you're a very humble salt of the earth person like me. I'm, I'm sure you put some pressure on yourself. Oh, I'm failing here. Oh, I'm not doing well here. But just speaking as your brother in Christ, I mean, your three daughters are, are truly blessed to have you in their life. And in a world where secular society wants to gain control of the societal narrative, where secular society is trying to systematically remove Christ from all major institutions, it's wonderful for your daughters to uh, to be experiencing that and, and have that as as a firm foundation. Uh, as I said, there's a lot of similarities between the two of us. There's also obviously a couple of differences. And one of the, the differences just based on this conversation here is that unlike you, I grew up in a very Christian household, never really had a choice. Now, again, looking back on it, I'm, I'm very thankful that my parents did that. I, I think in society today, parents give their kids too much choice. I mean, what the heck do you know when you're five? You know, you're a boy. Do you want to be a girl? Uh, we go to church. Do you want to go to church? I mean, you, 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 we're giving our children way too much flexibility and um, 
in rope in, in these days. And I think one of the things that I experienced is, Hey, this is who God is. You're going to be baptized. You're going to go to church. You're going to pray. And it's helped make me who I am today. On the flip side, as you just talked about, you were the first in your family really to receive Christ and, and make this an important part of your life. I'm curious, how did your family react? Now, you talked about being estranged from your parents, from your sisters for a little while, and then presumably you started to reach out to them again. Were they on board with this? Did they criticize you for this? Like, like how did your family react when you boldly and unapologetically told them, hey, I've accepted Christ as my Savior and you should too? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's really fascinating because obviously as a family with, with no faith and and things were, you know, that, that lack of faith was rooted in, I think, experiences that my parents had when they were younger. And so me, uh, first of all, coming to faith and then the Lord beginning to bring reconciliation, glorious reconciliation with my mom, with my dad, with my sisters. Um, it, it's been, you know, it's been truly glorious. But in terms of me talking about Jesus, sharing scripture, you know, seeking to seeking for my family to know about Jesus, it's been something that I've had to really, really um how would I describe it? It's it's been challenging because you know I'm just bursting for them to know about Jesus and to hear about Jesus. But again, I've had to become more and more aware and understanding of of the 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 plan that God is orchestrating across my family because He's given me His word, He's given me His promise that all my family will be saved and set free and filled with this Holy Spirit in his time but again it's in his time so i've just had to and again i suppose with my family really just be as christ-like as possible without necessarily going over and you know coming into conversation just sharing scriptures and you know sharing you know kind of do a bible study with you so it's uh it's, it's in kind of living out trying to live out as much of the scriptures as possible to be as much christ-like as possible and and obviously with the ministry that i've been blessed with in this last two and a half years and and the way the ministry's expanded and and the way in which the lord has sent me on missions in you know into africa and into america um, and, you know, my family members have seen some of the fruit of um, of the ministerial work and, you know, they, in their own way, they're seeing God work, even though they may not be ready to accept that it's God right now. Um, so, yeah, I've just had to, uh, yeah, just just trust trust in God's divine timing. Um, and I've got there's various stories of how God continues to confirm that he is absolutely sovereign and his will is going to be done with all my family. But it's um uh, needing to be patient is something that is very crucial. Yeah, and I think that's uh, exactly right. One of the things is we're getting ready to uh, to wrap up here, Brother Paul, in the next couple of minutes. Uh, one of the things that I really like about the C-Suite for Christ ministry is we don't just talk in deep philosophical terms. You know, we don't just want to give people a 30,000 foot overview. I mean, sure. I mean, some of those things are, are good. You know, we get people excited. We get people motivated. Individuals say, you know, yeah, I, I can really buy into what is being said. But one of the things that we want to do is we want to give practitioner-based best practices so people can start getting closer to Christ, so people can start implementing some of the things that we talk about on this podcast in their lives. And, and quite frankly, like you, I can't think of anything more important than sharing Christ with your children. If, if somebody has not been doing that on a regular basis, it can be a little intimidating. It can be a little scary. Some folks might not even know how to start. So just based on what you're doing in your life, what you've experienced on your side, if we've got a couple listeners today that say, you know what, I want to do a much better job of telling my children about Christ. I want to make sure that my children have an intimate relationship with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can you give those individuals maybe two or three tips 
or two or three best practices? If they want to start this today, what two or three things can they start doing to, to be a little bit more proficient in that capacity? So I would say um, the first thing is, is just about the atmosphere in which when we're with our children, the atmosphere, order, audible atmosphere. So if not specifically sharing scripture, but having worship music playing. So, you know, if you're driving in the car on the school run or something like that. So just just, you know, just allowing the Holy Spirit to come and saturate the, you know, the the, the place where where we are and where we are with our children. Um, but then also um, for me. Um, sharing with, as I have with my children, speaking about how we do not fight against flesh and blood, because of course our children and my children are, are going through their own, um, you know, tribulations at different points in school, and so um, basically, like teaching them to to start to see people not just in the flesh, but that this is a spiritual battle that is going on. You know, so when someone at school is coming against them and you know, various circumstances that it might be in, really trying to teach them to 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 start to take a bit of a step back and, and obviously encouraging them to pray for people, you know, to pray for the for the friends at school. Um and so just 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 kind of encouraging them to to speak to Jesus and just knowing that he is always there for them. So I hope that's been I hope those things have been of use. And I, I, just a final thing to say, I, I wasn't sure if you were going to ask about for people that might be listening and watching and how they can share Christ, but uh, not necessarily specifically just for your family, but to people that you've never met before. And I just want to encourage everyone that will listen to uh, this podcast that the, the first few words I say to complete strangers whenever I'm out and about, whether it's a shop, the supermarket, the petrol station is uh, typically I'm just led to say, hi, God bless you. Do you know that Jesus loves you? And I just want to say that those few words opens up into truly, truly divine encounters. And I just want to encourage everyone to to really be willing to share the gospel. And when the Lord says, whom shall I send as a messenger to this people who will go for us, that, that everyone listening here will say, here I am, Lord, send me. This is the Great Commission. Hallelujah. Yeah, amen to that. Really solid advice from somebody who is living what Jesus wants him to do. So, Paul, we got about 30 seconds left. Again, I, I have no doubt that people have been blessed by your words of wisdom here today. So if somebody wants to learn a little bit more about your consultancy, become customer-centric, or your ministry, become born again, where should they go? What should they do to get some additional information on these two organizations? Yeah, very briefly. So the consultancy is just become customercentric.com. So that's got um, that that explains the, the, the proposition and the focus and you know how I add value to companies based on my last 20 years of experience. The ministry, which is much more of what is my almost my full time really, is become bornagain.com. And, and that is a very, very um, content-rich website. And I just want to share one last thing on there. There's a book on the on the front page that is titled The Church, From Lukewarm on Sunday to On Fire Every Day. And if there's one thing that I'd encourage people to download off the homepage is a free download, instant download, would, it would be that book. It's a creation of the Holy Spirit. And I'm just truly honored, brother, to, to be a servant of the Lord and to help advance God's kingdom here upon the earth. Well, we are certainly honored to have you associated with the C-Suite for Christ ministry and even doubly honored and blessed to have you on this episode of the C-Suite for Christ podcast. We've been listening to Paul Rook from Become Customer Centric as well as Become Born Again. Brother Paul, thank you for sharing your words of wisdom with us. It was a, a real blessing to have you on the program here today. Thank you, brother. And may God bless everything that you're putting your hands to for the rest of your life, brother.
Well, that means a lot to us. Uh, Gang, don't go away. We'll be back with some closing words after this real quick break. Well, as we get ready to say goodbye here on another episode of the C-Suite for Christ podcast, first and foremost, I want to thank my friend, my brother in Christ, member of C-Suite for Christ, Paul Rook, for appearing on the show. Just a a really wonderful person. He's been through a bit of a transformation himself, as you could see from the interview, and he's passing it on. He's paying it forward, and, and he is living the verse that we centered today's program around. Again, Joel chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children, and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. We all have a lot of traditions. We all have a lot of things that we like to do with our kids. Food we like to eat sports we like to watch, trips we like to take, activities that we like to do. All those are good, all those are worthwhile, and all those are excellent for a healthy family. But a healthy family is secondary to healthy souls. And that's what we're called to do in Joel chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. Are we talking to our children about what's going on in society today? And are we talking to them, more importantly, about what God thinks about that in society today? These are young kids. These are impressionable kids, whether they're your kids or grandkids or nieces or nephews or whatever it is. And if we're not constantly passing God's teaching along to this generation and the next generation, if we're not passing traditions Christian traditions to this generation and the next generation, if we're not doing our part to ensure that their soul is in the proper alignment with their Heavenly Father, that's going to create a void. And one of the things with a void is where Christ's teaching should be, there's now this emptiness, and voids do not stay empty very long. Other things rush in to fill the void. Secular society will fill the void. If you're not passing Christian traditions along to your children, the world will pass secular traditions along to your children. And we're not talking about football. We're not talking about any of these meaningless things. Nothing is more important than ensuring that our children and our young people have an intimate relationship with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm very hard on myself as a human being. Quite frankly, I don't think I'm a very good father. I don't think I'm a very good husband. Now, my wife and my children, they may agree. They may disagree. I pray they disagree. I don't know. I don't often do all the things that I should do as a parent. I often fall short of my expectations. But one of the things that I constantly obsess about is do my children know Jesus Christ? Do my children have an intimate, loving relationship with their Heavenly Father? They might get bad grades. They might get cut from the football team. They may not make the school play. They might not have a lot of friends. But as long as they know Jesus Christ, that is a trade-off that I'm willing to make. And it's my prayer that you feel the same way. So let's start Christian traditions in our families. Let's introduce the young people in our life to Christian traditions because nothing is more important than ensuring Christianity for future generations. 
If you'd like to learn more about the C-Suite for Christ ministry, maybe become a member, how to get involved, please go to our website to learn more at csuiteforchrist.com. I'm Paul M. Newberger, the founder of C-Suite for Christ, and we'll see you back here next time. Thank you for joining us on the C-Suite for Christ podcast. People everywhere are thirsting for Christ. Our goal is to cover the world in Christ using hope, encouragement, and God's nourishing words. We hope you'll join us. Please visit csuiteforchrist.com and come back soon for more conversations centered around God's endless love for us all. I saw you in my dreams before I came here. I will keep you in my dreams when I leave here. I won't forget you, no, 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 no. I won't forget you. Your life.